Welcome to Post Game Beers Podcast. We are the Lupton Drinking Club, and it's time to talk Frog Ball Regional. Um, I'm your host, Kyle Malloy, at YellMK on Twitter, joined by our producer, Crazy Ray Cartwright, the Sultan of Stat, Martin Guerrero, and we've got Garrett Evans on the pod. Our return special guest tonight is no stranger to the LDC. Um, he is the host of the most comprehensive college baseball podcast um, <laughs> out there, 11.7. Ben Upton. Ben, welcome back to the show. Um, you know, we don't get a lot of people who are who will answer our texts at once they're on the first time. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> Dude, I was uh, I was pretty much begging for an invite back after that first time I came on. You know, longtime listener of your show. Uh, I loved how you guys questioned Kendall Rogers quite a bit uh, about a month ago. And, uh, you know, he came on right before me. I tried to one-up his performance, and then I was like, you know what? I need to redeem myself. I need to come back on for postseason. So glad to be here. Um, you guys are always a really fun time. Oh, Kyle looks frozen. I got froze, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah. No, we uh, we try to have fun with it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad Kyle's back. Uh, I did the hosting duties this past Sunday doing the Big 12 recap, and it was a disaster in my opinion, but no. <laughs> Our faithful leader bad. is back. It wasn't bad. You know, I, it I, was I, not bad. You guys bring the content. I try to keep us on track, and I actually thought it was pretty good overall. So, you guys yeah, I just, you know, I'm the I'm the fun dad. I'm the divorce dad. That whenever he gets the kids for the weekend, it's you know rated R movies. It's whatever you want. Yes. I, I'm the Ben Upton of the LDC, and then and yeah. then you're the Dimitri, and you can yeah. be the. I'm chasing butterflies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, All right, that yeah. So, right. so Ben, last time you came on, you know, you were actually kind of at a downswing for the Frogs. They had uh, just lost to Texas Tech, and uh, you know they had swept Kansas. You know, kind of taking care of business, but it wasn't. We didn't feel great. Um, then they ended up uh, beating Oklahoma State, and that was a huge series. Um, they didn't win another one, uh, you know, or a good one until the last one at camp versus Kansas state. That was their first, um, away conference series that they won all year long. So, I mean, they really kind of fell off not only the top 25, but really the radar of everybody, um, kind of around. And then this run that they've been on in may, I know you guys have paid attention to it, but winning 14 of 16 games, obviously winning the big 12 championship, not losing, not losing a single one. So, what you know from a national perspective what are you guys thinking about the frogs yeah and you guys are really aware how the ncaa baseball tournament goes you can be the best team all year and then you know you have three two or three bad games in may or june you can play your way out of it um so i actually like where tcu's at as far as their season swing goes uh we saw them early in the year looks really really good super talented bunch um they're playing with confidence and like a lot of energy and you're right. Like during that middle part of the year, like there was times where you're just scratching your head thinking, are we going to finish behind Baylor in the standings? Like, is this really about to happen? And uh, of course, they heat back up at the right time of the year in May. We see it every year. I mean, just for example, we don't have to go back too far. Oklahoma did the same thing last year and they ended up in the national championship game. You go on a run in the Big 12 tournament, you get matched up in a, you know, a, a regional that I think is winnable um, when you get Arizona, who's not very good. Uh, I actually, I mean, to be honest, I, I think Arkansas is a good team, but they don't have superstars or star power to like overpower anybody. Um, but I, I think like Santa Clara could give them some trouble game one uh, with Santa Clara's game one starter. So it's like TCU, I think they're they're sitting pretty. Like they're, they're going to go into Fayetteville with a lot of confidence. And I mean, I, I would say less than half the teams are playing confident right now. 
which teams do you think are going into a regional, maybe not necessarily Fayetteville, but, um, you know, that, that are either feeling great, you know, they're kind of on the mm-hmm. upswing just like the frogs are, or, or maybe feeling pretty bad because of a, a late run that's just kind of taking them downhill. Yeah. I mean, West Virginia, I think is, is very down right now. I think West Virginia is after getting swept by Texas, all they had to do is win one game to win the big 12. Um, and then they go Oh, and two in the big 12 tournament. That's a team that like, I wouldn't touch betting wise or anything like that. I wouldn't pick them to re- win the regional. Um, I-, I think that's a team that's coming in with low confidence. Uh, and then for high confidence, the obvious answer here is Clemson. 16 straight wins in the ACC. They've won like 25 of their last 28. Those guys seem untouchable right now. So, um, I mean, those are just two examples of a team that's feeling good versus not feeling good. Is there something that's kind of strange about that, though, where you're, you've won 16 games straight and you're kind of like, okay, we, we got to lose at some point, right? And, you know, when's that loss going to happen and is it going to be at the right time? 100%. Usually, uh, so I think the longest win streak I ever went on in college was 11 games. But usually like around like the 9 or 10 mark, you start looking around like, yo, are we going to lose again? Like, what what's going on? Like, kind of expecting to lose. Now, Clemson's got one of the best head coaches in the country and Eric Backage. Like, he has the boys ready each and every day. Um, and so, I don't know, but for me, Clemson's not going to go undefeated through the the postseason. Like they're going to slip up once, which is okay. Most, I mean, everything's double elimination here uh, from here on out. It's just like, how is Clemson going to respond to a loss? You know, they're going to bounce back and play good ball again, or is it going to kind of snowball down to back to back losses? Yeah, a lot of times, does it depend on how you lose? Whenever that losing streak or that winning streak comes to an end, yeah. It, it how is a big like a big part of it because if you get blown out like eleven to nothing and like you're never really in it, you kind of just hit the reset button, you laugh it off, you come back the next day for BP and everybody's loose. So everybody's like, all right, we got the you know monkey off our back, we got that loss out of the way, like let's focus up. But like a game that you know whether it's TCU or Clemson or anybody, you know you battle it out, maybe a five four game that you get walked off or a, a game where you're up four to three in the ninth and you give up a two spot and you can't respond. Like those games hurt a lot more because you had the win, like you should have won the game, and then there's pressure going into the next day of like, all right, we got, we better start out hot again because if we don't get a lead, you know, who knows if we're going to score? Yeah. So we realize that the Fayetteville Regional is obviously the biggest thing on most Frog fans' minds, but let's table that discussion just for for a minute. So we were actively tuned into the selection show, as most people were. Um, I know you had some very strong opinions on a few things, uh, so. You know, we listened to your kind of immediate reaction pod, and uh, it was awesome. It was awesome just to hear some kind of genuine emotion. Um, what are you know a couple of things that really just stood out to you of like, uh, you know, either this is amazing or or this is completely absurd. Yeah, I mean, as like a former player for myself and my co-host Dimitri, um, we we kind of view college baseball sometimes as like an like for national national uh, standpoint of people who covered cover college baseball. Uh, it's kind of a country club sport. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are like, yes, sir, no, sir. Like, oh, we don't want to offend this coach or this team. We don't want to offend the NCAA by coming out and saying certain things. And that's kind of like where we step in. Not saying we're arrogant or, or we're nasty people, but like we want to see growth in the sport. And the only way to have growth is to have like a legitimate conversation about things that you disagree with. Um so, like, obviously, there was some things that happened 
at least that I made pretty clear on Twitter. Um, it started with the the top 16 seeds on Sunday night that were released. You know, seeing a team like Auburn get in as the eighth SEC team, which in my opinion is crazy. Like, you can't be the eighth best team in your conference and be rewarded a home field regional. Um, and it just happened to turn out that the the chairman of the selection committee is the AD at Auburn. Um, so it's like, uh, there Wait, was def- what breaking <laughs> <Yeah>. news. <laughs> there were some favors and and probably some handshake deals there. Uh, another member of the committee was, is, uh, Indiana States uh, AD. And, you know, they got a regional, which they probably deserved being at nine in the RPI. So, I mean, that, those like kind of storylines there, um, shook some feathers of mine. And then it, parlayed into selection Monday where a team like Arizona gets in over a UC Irvine, which is crazy to me. Um, UC Irvine had eight Pac-12 wins this year, and they don't even play in the conference. And meanwhile, Arizona State is 2-18 and in their conference and finish in eighth place, and they get into the tournament. And, like, I don't care what conference you play in. You could play in the National League or the American League. You go 8 and or 12-18 and – like you don't deserve to be in the postseason. Like I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what your RPI says. Um, and so, like that, that was frustrating. There, I also thought Kansas State should have got in over Oklahoma just because of the head-to-head. Kansas State sweeps Oklahoma, dominates them, finishes with a better conference record, and Oklahoma gets in because of the RPI. So, I was frustrated. I let a lot of people know that. Um, I think there was a silent majority behind, you know, my opinions that probably wish that they could say some things, maybe some players or coaches or even like athletic directors that are diehard baseball fans that are like, yeah, you know what? Like this needs to stop. But with all of that said, and I know I've been, this is kind of a long winded answer, um, but I, I was impressed with the committee coming out at the end. John Cohen says, look, we went off the RPI. The RPI is broken. We need to fix it. Um, let's make this change for next year. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're looking for is, just change in the sport, make it more competitively balanced and uh, rewarding the right teams. But I mean, that that statement right there, um, it got a ton of flack because you're basically yeah. saying, "Hey, this is how we chose the the teams uh, in the in the uh, you know in the postseason, and it's a flawed metric, uh, but we used it anyway." Like they, it's almost. Like, I mean, I'm sure they tried and they looked at other things as well, but you're basically telling the you know a national audience. Yeah, it's broken, like you said, uh, but we did. We decided to to not go any deeper. And if you mm-hmm. think about it, these these are athletic directors, right? They're not yeah. they're not you know Ben Upton and Dimitri, and they're not you know Kendall Rogers or anybody at D one watching baseball every weekend. Think about all the stuff these they're athletic directors. They have actual jobs to do. Even on the football committee, you're talking about a handful of games that they're paying attention to, which is a little easier. Baseball, you've got you know hundreds every weekend, so <laughs> yes. it's almost impossible for them to keep up with anything until they get into this room together and they start looking at metrics alone. So I get it where they have a limited amount of time, but that does, that seems flawed in itself. Just coming up with a committee of athletic directors alone. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they, these guys get paid a lot of money to do other things besides watch baseball. And like, sure, they might go to 15 or 20 of their team's home games and see other teams in the conference, but like they don't have time, nor do I think that they should watch college baseball. Like they, they need to do their jobs first. And like, it's cool that we have a committee of 10 members, 10 ADs across the country that want to uh, participate in college baseball. I think that's great. 
but I, I don't think they should get final say. You know, I, in my opinion, I think we we could use those ads. We could use those ten ads to help make decisions. But go get guys like Aaron Fit and and Mike Rooney and Kyle Peterson. Um, you go get the guys that cover college baseball. Put them in a room with the ads and let them kind of say their cases for certain teams. And then you can come to a group decision. Um, I think that's probably the easiest way right now without like a advanced algorithm and formula that'll spit out the right answers. I think if you kind of get a mix of both baseball writers and athletic directors, I think they're, everybody in that room is smart enough to make good decisions. You know, why not just kind of go off the way college basketball does it, right? There's mm-hmm. 300 and something division one college basketball teams that they have to dwindle down to 64. And you think they're watching those midweek games of yeah, like Iona no. versus Villanova or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And and what is the in college basketball? It's the net rankings, right? That's kind of yeah. the and you got Ken Palm and all of that. Um, obviously, I think college basketball is easier to uh, I think it's easier to look at stats because you don't have different starting pitchers every day. You don't have uh, four games a week. You only have two for the most part. And, you know, head to head, I think in baseball means more than head to head in basketball because if you sweep a team yeah you know, that's that says more to me than if you just beat them you know at their home field or home court versus your home court uh there's a lot more leeway there in your uh way of fixing it you know what are some thought you know Pete Hughes throughout you know drop your four lowest rpi games yeah that's a good way to start um i think that's a really good place to start because Every year you see teams cancel midweek games that will hurt their RPI, whether they win or not. And I think those games are still good to be played because you might see the freshman play six innings instead of not play at all. Uh, Or you might see some guys out of the bullpen that need to get some work and keep them from transferring or whatever the case may be. I also think there's a way you could... I'm not a smart guy by any means. Like When it comes to algorithms and all that, I don't know what I'm talking about. But I would propose an idea of a weighted RPI. Um, maybe you weight you you weigh Friday night games more than Sunday games, or you weigh a a, a weekend series more than a midweek game. There's got to be people out there that are smart enough to uh, come up with a formula that says, "All right, if a game is played on Tuesday or Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, this is weighted half as much as a Friday or a Saturday game," because the talent is way different on a Friday night versus a Tuesday. It, it It's just the way the sport is. I, that's where I would start, but I can't do anything with it. Hopefully, or <laughs> where's JD sailors at? He's a smart guy, right? He could probably get a, he could probably get an Excel sheet out there. You know, why not just use chat GPT? Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we talked about the biggest snubs or, you know, we talked about UC Irvine and, and Kansas state, but who got into the field you feel like got screwed the most, you know, maybe it was a bad draw. Um, uh, A&M's heading out West. They're like the only team going out to California that doesn't actually play there. Clemson, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it has Tennessee in their bracket. That's, that's certainly tough. So any mm-hmm. other teams come to mind? Yeah, there's a bunch. I mean, I think that, I mean, typically you'll see, the way that the seeds are structured, you know, you, usually you'll see the 16th seed get the best two seed, 15th seed get the second best two seed. 
So it's a little bit more favorited towards the one through four or the one through eight seeds. This year, like Clemson got screwed getting Tennessee, who I think was the best two seed out there. Uh, Clemson being the number four overall seed, they get a team with three first round draft picks on the mound, plus other draft picks uh, in the lineup. And a team last year that was the best team in college baseball for by a long shot. So you get them coming to town with a huge fan base. That's a tough draw there. But, I mean, you look at some of the other um, regionals here, and let me pull it up just real fast. The uh, Like, I thought um, Wake Forest is the number one overall seed kind of got hit pretty hard because they get the Big Ten champ regular season and tournament come into town, and Maryland didn't lose a Big Ten weekend series this year or last year, and they also swept through the Big Ten tournament, and – Every single year, there's always a Big Ten team that does some damage in the postseason. Uh, Maryland has possibly three All-Americans this year uh, with Savakul on the mound. And then you got Shaw, like Matt Shaw at shortstop and Schliger in the field. So those three guys can – and then you have a guy in Maryland's lineup that has 99 RBIs this year. He's going to hit 100, which is the first time since 2003. Maryland's tough draw for, for Wake Forest as number one overall seed. Uh, I also think that um, Oklahoma State gets a really tough draw with Oral Roberts as their four seed. Washington, who finished in third place in the Pac-12, is a three seed. And then Dallas Baptist, who's really familiar with Oklahoma State uh, and, and, and a ballpark that they're familiar with as well. So, like, those teams, to me, like, kind of got the, the short end of the stick. I think uh, they should have probably been rewarded a little bit better. That Stillwater Regional is probably one of the tougher ones that I've looked at to pick. You know, I mean, yeah. you could literally pick any of the four teams, and if you probably don't feel comfortable with any of them, you know, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those like, can if you pick a team to win that regional, like let's say you're betting on it. And I was looking at the odds earlier. Um, I don't know. I think it was Dallas Baptist to win the regional plus four hundred. But you're just like, all right, I'll bet this, but man, I hope they win game one because Washington could easily beat you game one. And same thing with Oklahoma State and Oral Roberts. Yeah, you, know, you can pick Oklahoma State to win the regional, but watch out. Like Oral Roberts has a good Friday night guy, really, really athletic team, um, both offensively and defensively, and they've won a lot of games this year. So it's like, can just win game one. <laughs> That's all it is. I have a question before we uh, jump out of the national seed, and it's about Tulane. Now, that's a fun story. Everyone likes to, oh, a nine and – what 40 something a 19 and 40 team or whatever gets into mm-hmm. the end. But that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, do you think that we should take away the automatic qualifying from just a tournament and reward the regular season champion? Although it gets kind of, you know, hairy there with uh, like the big 12 had three, a three-way tie. Yeah. What I've seen this year and last year that I think I agree with is a lot of these smaller conferences. Uh, I mean, I played in the SoCon. Um, you know, there's other team, other conferences like the Northeastern Conference and the CAA and, you know, wherever, whatever mid-major conferences out there. A lot of them are shortening their conference tournament to like the top four teams or if they have 12, you know, they'll put six in there, but the first top two seeds get a bye. Uh, what, what the problem with the American conferences where Tulane plays is all eight teams make it and they're all on an even playing field one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six. And it's like, 
you don't give your regular season champion or even the top two or three teams an advantage that way. So you'll see a seven seed win it all. Um, what I think, what I hope some conferences start doing is limiting it to four teams like or six teams and depending on your conference size that way there's still meaningless or meaningful baseball games in the regular season down the stretch where teams are fighting for that three or four spot or that five or six spot or even the one or two spot if you get a buy in the first round versus the american where like you could have i mean what did tulane win eight or nine american games this year in conference and then they go and win the conference tournament it's like why even play the regular season it, it doesn't matter do you think part of it is like the American refusing to realize that they're not that good at baseball? Yeah, and it's it's kind of sad now because all of those teams in the American, minus maybe like Memphis, um, have had really good seasons in the past or like have been baseball schools in the past. University of Houston hosting regionals or super regionals not too long ago. Wichita State was like the team of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, and, and like East Carolina now for sure. UCF has had some really good teams. So I think they're still taking pride in like them being a baseball conference, but man, they've been so bad the last couple of years. Like East Carolina is keeping them afloat and like keeping them relevant. It's sad. And it, it really hurts East Carolina, you know, because yeah. they'll win like 50 games, but everybody else has like a, a RPI over a hundred. Exactly. So you're right. That's what it is. Like East Carolina is probably heated right now. Yeah. <laughs> And then, uh, like I saw the Big East, they did just the top four teams. And then you mm -hmm. still get somebody like Xavier, who was a bubble team, but they just took themselves off the bubble by winning. Yeah. Xavier's a good story, man. Um, those guys hung around all year. They played a very, very hard non-conference and a lot of road games. I think maybe like 12 of their first 13 games were on the road. They played like against Oregon and I think maybe UC Santa Barbara. Um, so they scheduled, right. Like they scheduled knowing that this was going to help their RPI and, you know, all they have to do is just compete in their conference, be one of the first or second teams, and they would get an at-large picture, but the big East tournament did it right. So there was really only three teams in that conference. I think that were good enough or should, should have advanced if anything, but they made it a four team tournament. And what that does is it just allows your conference to get represented by, one of the best teams versus getting embarrassed in the postseason. Yeah, like in the uh, in the MAC conference, you had Kent State who just dominated all year, and they don't even make the tournament. Yeah, they lose in the final, and then I mean they did lose to a team who Ball State dominated last year and didn't make the tournament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, that, that that conference has a lot of. Uh, I mean, sorry, that conference it kind of flips between those three teams. You can add Central Michigan in there, but. Yeah, it sucks because I think like the last three years, the regular season champion has lost in the finals to like the two seed or the three seed. Didn't that happen yeah, like, in, you... in a walk off too, Martin? Like with Ball State, didn't they walk off uh, Kent State? <laughs> uh, they hit a they hit a grand slam, I think, in the top of the ninth. Yeah, grand slam, top of the ninth. I think they were down by three with two outs or something crazy like that. Yeah, they were down. I don't know if it was by one or two, but mm -hmm. um, like, could you imagine like Oral Roberts losing their conference tournament this year and not making the tournament? That's what after I'm saying. Going, after going 23 and one in the Summit League, that's what I'm saying. Like Oral Roberts was the clear decision for the to represent the Summit League, but they still had to win their conference tournament because their RPI wasn't even close to an at-large. So I'm a big believer of I want to see the best teams and the most deserving teams in the tournament, and I do like the 
automatic qualifier tournament because it allows more teams to stay interested throughout the year. But you just got to shorten those tournaments up. Or you could do what the SOCON did um, with – they invited all eight teams, but the f- the number one seed and the number two seed, so Samford and Mercer, got double buys. And then the three and the four seed got a buy, and then five played eight and six played seven. So that's, in my opinion, really rewarding because you don't have to throw your number one starter until you face the other team's number three starter with that double buy. And – uh I think that's more of the format that the American should have probably taken. If the American with East Carolina and Houston get a double buy, one of those two teams is winning the tournament. It's like Tulane doesn't have a shot then. Maybe to get deeper in the uh, the woods, the RPI, but the SEC kind of has it right. I mean, they schedule each of their teams will play in like one one of the tournaments or whatever mm-hmm. with some good teams, and it'll just schedule middle of the pack. Uh, mid majors and then ride their conference schedule to build boost their RPI. Yeah, that that conference schedule is brutal, but it's very rewarding because even teams like Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri, like if they didn't have such bad conference records, their RPIs were good enough to be at largest. They just couldn't win in the uh in the conference. Like they both they all won like 10 games. But, I mean, I don't I don't necessarily want to jump ahead to Arizona, you know, and talk about the preview, but why why was Arizona's um you know, RPI so good considering they had a 12 and 18 conference record. Yeah. There's a lot of factors that play into it. They, they played a really good non-conference schedule early in the year uh, with teams that had high winning percentages. Plus when you're in Arizona, there's only like maybe half a dozen teams that you can play in the midweek. So they would play in Arizona state in the midweek. They would play a Texas tech twice in a midweek. Uh, Grand Canyon was always pretty solid and had a good winning percentage there. So like they don't have teams and like no offense to some of these Texas teams, but you know, Houston Christian, um, you're not playing them in a midweek. Like you're not playing a Stephen F. Austin in the midweek that that's gonna lower your RPI whether you win or not. You know, whoever Arizona played, they had a good chance of bumping up that RPI quite a bit. And I think early in the season, like in February, when the weather's bad up north, a lot of teams go mm-hmm. to places like Arizona. Yeah, you get the Michigans and the Michigan States, Tennessees, like all of them went over to Arizona this year. Yeah, I think uh, think West Virginia went to Arizona too. Yeah, they did. They did. So like all of that like calculates together and boosts that RPI up. We should tell P. Hughes to pay attention to those midweek games. Apparently he doesn't have anybody (laughs) around him that's worth anything. Exactly. (laughs) He's got people around him he can play. Yeah, Just don't lose to St. Thomas. Exactly. That's the key point there. Don't lose the games you have to win. You know, uh, real quick, you you mentioned GCU. Are they the most disappointing mid-major this year? Uh, In my opinion, they're up there for sure. Um, I think we had them preseason mid-major ranked one or two. No, I think it was, I think it was two this year. And and the reason why is like they returned pretty much everybody from last year, and they're going to have a first-round draft pick. Maybe I'm hearing a lot of things that Homer Bush Jr. might sneak into the first round, their center fielder, uh, just based off the tools that he had and the season that he had this year. So you're looking at two first-round picks potentially. Let's just call them two day one and day two picks um, in the draft this year. Plus your whole starting rotation came back minus one guy. And it's like they play in the whack, which is uh, an average conference at best. Like everybody expected them to run through conference play, but um, you know, they got hot at the end of the year and then they choked it away in the whack tournament. So 
yeah, I would say Grand Canyon for me, just because I was so high on him. That was one of the biggest mid-major disappointments this year. I was pretty high on him too, as Martin yeah. can attest to. I think a lot of people were, especially after them beating Tennessee on national TV the second game of the year. Um, I was I was bought in. All my chips were in the middle of the table. I went all in. You know how many hours I spent watching Texas State and GCU? <laughs> Probably a ton. Dude, especially was... GCU, because they're on at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Yeah, you got, the, you got the broadcaster with them. Yeah, Texas State did go out there, and they have a they have an interesting broadcast. Like obviously, like the camera and the lighting oh, issue dude. was bad all year, but they have this this broadcaster who's awesome. He kind of reminds me of a Vin Scully. I think he does it uh, like solo, and he kind of puts you to sleep with that golf tone. But it's <laughs> good. It's like clear to listen to. He puts up good points, but he's just got like such a monotone voice that just like wants to put you to sleep like a golf nap. Yeah, we got to get that Instagram filter off their center field camera. That's, that's what I'm saying. And like they, they can't figure it out. It's been like that for three years now. All right, back to the bracket. So top to bottom, what are the most competitive uh, regions, I guess, out there? I I have a, uh, you know, this pit in my stomach that you're going to, you know, give us one answer. But, you know, what are the, what are the toughest uh, regionals? Well, we'll save the one that you're expecting for last. But uh, I think this Coastal Carolina one's pretty tough just because – this it's Coastal Carolina is the one, Duke is the two, UNCW is the three, and Ryder is a four. I I know Coastal had a really good season this year, and they they won every series in the Sun Belt, uh, but they are vulnerable, and they kind of showed that vulnerable side when they get into tough nose games against a team like Louisiana in the Sun Belt um, tournament, and like they've had some clunkers of some games, so. I'm saying that they deserve to host a regional. I absolutely 100%. But like Duke can be really good this year or they can be really bad. UNCW can be really good this year, as you guys know, um, as a three seed. and But maybe not as talented as a Duke or a Coastal Carolina on paper, but like those kids can really play. And then Ryder is a four seed. Uh, I mean, they beat Duke or split with Duke in a, in a midweek series earlier this year. And like for a New Jersey team, and like they have a lot of physical, like big physical guys that can play. So I don't I don't know if it's like talent wise, it's not the most competitive. But as far as like the four teams go, like that one is tough to pick for me because you just don't know which team is going to show up. Um, and I'll go to another one right above this this Arkansas one we'll talk about in just a second. But Indiana State, Wright State, North Carolina, Iowa. Good luck. I mean, any of those four teams can win this bracket. I mean, it's Wright State. I, I have them going to Omaha. I'm a big believer in the Raiders. I think that they are, they've been knocking on the door for so long. And like this team is finally experienced, experienced enough in the postseason. They got their heart broken two years ago on that walk off grand slam by Drew Gilbert in Tennessee. Um, and, you know, so it's a program that's been knocking on the door to get to a super regional. And, um, so I think that's a tough matchup for Indiana State game one. And then Iowa and North Carolina, a good mix of like star power for both teams, even though Vance Honeycutt is not going to be playing for North Carolina, who's probably going to be the number one or number two overall pick next year. So that hurts North Carolina a lot. Uh, and then you got Brody Brecht for Iowa, which might be a number one or number two overall pick next year, uh, pitching for Iowa. But Iowa and North Carolina are very deep. Um Indiana State, they they've been good all year, and besides like the th six or seven games they lost in a row to Northeastern and Kentucky, 
I, I think all four of these teams are just going to battle it out in the middle of nowhere in Indiana and then show up at TCU or Arkansas for the next week. Does Wright State still mash? Yeah, they, so they they mash more this year than they have in the past. Um, let's see. I think like two or th- I think for three or four straight years they were top five in stolen bases in the country. They're one of those teams that teaches stolen base, kind of like a Wofford, if you guys are familiar with that. Um, and you can do that in those conferences. Uh, like the catchers aren't as good as what you'll see in uh, the SEC or the Big Twelve or ACC. So you can steal each guy can steal twenty plus bags, but that was kind of the problem with Wright State was they relied a lot on that during the regular season for these past regional teams. But once they got to regionals, they got shut down in the running game. This year they can hit like they can hit for power. A lot of guys with a ton of doubles, and they're they're just more of a physical team. So that's why I think that they're a sleeper as a four seed to get to a super regional, or even me being crazy uh, picking them to go to Omaha. So if you're picking a four seed to go to Omaha, um, and and you're part of the Curry Cup, which is the postseason picks that uh, that Jacob. That's a lot on, of points. You, you know that that point more multiplier is pretty big. That's a lot of points. Yep, that's what I'm banking off of. Uh, it only takes one four seed to to really win some money. So, but my thing is, and I, I've been a big proponent of this like all season long. Like I want. I want to see a four seed back in Omaha. I need to see a four seed back in Omaha, and it's going to happen this year. The last time we saw it was a decade ago, 10 seasons ago, if you minus out that COVID year, uh, in 2012, when Stony Brook made that improbable run that nobody ever could have projected. And uh, I think this is the year that you see a four seed, like catch fire, catch some teams on some bad days, and and win ball games and get to Omaha. I I think it's going to happen this year. It could be Oral Roberts. It could be Wright State. Shoot, it could be a, a bunch of these teams. Like it could be a team, um, like even Tulane. Like Tulane recruits really well. Typically have good player development, and like they're a much better team than what their record says. Um, so that's where my head's at. Like I had to go. I had to stick to what I've been saying all year since like week two that there's going to be a four seed to make Omaha, and I just landed upon Wright State this year. You know, Tulane may not, but, you know, there's another team in that bracket that I really like. That's a lot of fun to watch in Sam Houston State. Yeah. You would talk about a team that mashes. Oh, yeah. I don't think think UTA wants to see them for a while. (laughs) Yeah, you can ask like UTA. You can ask Utah Valley, who they curb stomped in the WAC championship. Uh, Yeah, when, when Sam Houston's bats are rolling, like they can compete with anybody. The pitching is so-so, but what you'll find in the NCAA tournament is like you'll find a guy just go out there and throw six innings and give up three runs, just getting weak contact or maybe getting lucky. Um, it, it happens every year. I mean, Michael Roth from South Carolina was a terrible pitcher um, all season long, and then he goes out and throws like back-to-back complete game shutouts as a lefty, just tossing it up there at 86. And, uh, I mean, heroes are born in the postseason. You never know what you're going to get. So if Sam Houston has, like, a fifth-year senior that's a lefty, that's crafty, I mean, he could go out there game two if they beat Oregon State and and shut down LSU's lineup and everybody on social media will be going nuts. Like, it, it can happen. This tournament's crazy. So that's the beautiful thing about this tournament? Yeah, that's what it is. Because I'm telling you, every year there's, like, 
there's star legitimate stars being born that come out of nowhere, like just big game players that either get lucky or they just get hot. Uh, maybe a mixture of both, but yeah, every single year there's guys that step up and you're like, wow, where has this been all year? You know, it's like last year with uh, Ole Miss. Now, DeLuca was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, but da- I didn't see that. Yeah, nobody saw Dylan DeLucia or even DeLucia, Hunter Elliott. Yeah. The the freshman lefty, Hunter Elliott, everybody knew he had good stuff, but like he couldn't lose the last month of the season. Like He was just on fire. Speaking of on fire, you know, this TCU team <laughs> heads to a very <laughs> tough uh, Fayetteville regional. Yeah, this is a tough regional, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I did pick TCU to win this regional. Yes, and it, it was. It, well, I know. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't <laughs> have. But um, like, like I was kind of mentioning earlier, like I love and respect this Arkansas team. I think Dave Van Horn is incredible at his job, and he always gets the best out of his players. And like Arkansas and Stanford have really been the most consistent team since 2018. Uh, they like every single year. They reload, they make their own, you know, future MLB draft picks. And they, I don't know, like Arkansas this year dealt with a lot of injuries and they dealt with a lot of adversity and just guys continued to step up all year, getting outs on the mound. Dave Van Horn mixed and matched everybody perfectly out of the bullpen. And in my opinion, they were playing above their talent level. So when it comes to like picking regionals, Sometimes I'll, I'll fade away from teams that I think are playing better than what they have been um, because everybody starts with a clean zero and zero record in the postseason. And sometimes it's hard to build that momentum back up. There's a lot of pressure hosting a regional um, as a team, especially like Arkansas, when you're going to have 12,000 fans there. And because nobody cares what happens in the regular season, like every at bat, they may boo you, they may talk some crap you just never know and with santa clara coming in as a four seed i think that's a prime example of a team that can really pitch the ball um their offense was red hot in the uh, the west coast conference tournament in vegas i think they outscored outscored opponents 40 to 7 in their five games which is crazy and uh, and then you have arizona in here as well who snuck into the tournament they have nothing to lose literally nothing and, oh, yeah, they have a top five MLB draft pick this year, in my opinion, and Chase Davis just anchoring that offense. So, like, all in all, like, this is a deep regional. It's tough. There won't be any easy wins. It's not even like what sometimes you look at the regionals, you're like, okay, well, if we lose game one, we'll get Florida A&M game two. We can throw our number three starter, and then we'll have our number two for the second elimination game. Like, you can't do that in this. Like, you got to go number one, number two, number three starter in order and like it's just up in the air like every game is going to be a battle i think one thing that worries me a little bit is just they're just they're playing at home you know it's they uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're 30 and 4 at home this year they lost four games and i tried to look into you know just those four losses to figure out anything that stuck out and really there's nothing i mean three of them they got blasted so it's like hey here's mm-hmm. your here's your formula score over 10 runs and and uh <laughs> you know keep them at four hits or less you know it's like great okay we'll we'll try to do that but there wasn't anything that you know they were spread out by a month each you know so like you mm-hmm. said you lose a game you come back the next day you get right back on track they forgot about the last loss and moved on and had an amazing season so i think yeah. about santa clara walking into the stadium like you said with twelve thousand fans maybe getting a little shell-shocked because they don't play yeah. 
yeah. anything like that. You know, TCU's first game is a little easier because they're not playing in front of that same fan base. Um, you know, who's I mean, who knows who Arkansas is cheering for, but um, all that to say they're playing Arizona. And then, you know, it's just, it's a tough, every game is going to be brutal. And we experienced the, uh, the wrath of the Arkansas fans at globe life, you know? And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was brutal. I mean, there, yeah. I mean, it was brutal. So I actually have a counter argument to that. I've been waiting for somebody to mention the 30 and four record that Arkansas had um, this season. Well, guess what? Like in, tw- in 2019, it was a very, very similar story, if not better. Uh, number one team in the country by far. They were the Tennessee of 2021. If you compare them to Tennessee 2022, they won pretty much every home game. Like they dominated teams and like teams just could not get a win in Bomb Walker. Well, in the regional, Nebraska stepped up as a two seed there and gave them a run for their money. They had, they went to a final game on Monday where they had to start the Golden Spikes winner, who was a closer, um, to, to even, Get or sorry, yeah, to get a win, I guess. But um, yeah, Nebraska gave them everything that they could handle. Um, I think this year's TCU team is better than that 2019 Nebraska team. And then on top of that, Arkansas hosted NC State in a super regional. Well, they lost two of those three games there. So that's what I'm saying. Like when it comes to postseason, you can throw out everything you did in the regular season. It doesn't matter if you went one and thirty or or thirty and four at home because everybody's coming for you. Like you have the target on your back as the home team as the number one overall seed, or sorry, the number, what are they, the number three overall seed this year. And um, like they have all the pressure and if they don't perform, their fan base is going to turn on them like pretty quickly. And I think this is a, just a prime spot where Arkansas like has to throw their number one guys. Like they're probably going to have to use their best bullpen guys on Friday. And then, you know, game two, it's like, all right, do you trust your number two starter over theirs with your bullpen? And like anything can happen from there. You know, with Arkansas, those injuries have to catch up with you at some point. Yep, hundred percent. They've sustained so many injuries. And and it's not just a cluster injury, it's been all over. You know, they've lost a couple of rotation pieces. Uh was their second baseman um Peyton something? Stovall. Yeah. Stovall gone uh i mean you just can't at some point has got to catch up with you yeah and and like those are the things that you can kind of spread out during the season and nobody cares if i mean like nobody's gonna worry about you if you win two out of three but you get you lose one game by 10 runs the uh but like in the postseason like if you win two out of three and you lose by 10 runs you got to bounce back from that 10 run loss and try to win again which you wouldn't have to do on a weekend so um, you got to win three games, maybe four games in the in the regionals, and it's like who who can do it? Like who has the depth to do it? So those injuries do play a big factor in that. And you said you can throw out uh, home records and you know records, everything. So can we throw out Arizona's four and fourteen road record? Hundred percent. Yeah, throw it out. Literally throw it out. Don't even think about it because I promise you, the coaches and the players don't care about it. They're not looking at that road record like they are O and O right now, and like they're coming for your throat. Like that's a, that's a fact. This Arizona team, they could mash. You know, they're mm-hmm. pretty much top ten in almost every statistical category, both advanced metrics and you know your regular batting average, home home runs. They don't mm-hmm. strike out too much. Um, can we expect this Friday game? 
to be kind of a barn burner, kind of a shootout. Yeah, I mean, so this Arizona team was was in Omaha in 2021, and I saw them, and they they started three or four freshmen that year. So they have the experience, um, at least with the bats and everything. To like, they're not they're they're very familiar with with postseason baseball. But um, I don't know. Has TCU announced their Friday night guy? Like, have they said who they're going to throw? Kirk no. loves announcing TBA as his TBA. It, which makes sense. Like almost every school is going to do that because they don't want the other team to get a scouting report and like dive deep into what they need to see. I figured that, but you know, some, some teams just throw it out there. They're like, all right, go do your scouting report. Like it's not going to matter. Um, I, I think it could, it could easily be um, one of those like 12 to 10 games, but like typically game one of a regional, you got a little bit of jitters in the box. Um, umpires usually have pretty big strike zones they're just trying to get out of there and the thing with bomb walker is when the wind's blowing out it plays super small but when it's blowing in it plays huge so I, I don't know what the wind direction is for friday i, I think that's going to play a big factor though i do know that yeah. there's a lot of rain in the forecast mm-hmm. for this weekend how yeah. much of a how much of a hitter's park is uh what is it high corbett field um you know, I don't know. I haven't. Where's that, Mark? Uh, Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, it's. I've never been there. I, I mean, judging by, I mean, it's kind of like one of those weird shaped fields where, like, left center is super deep, and it kind of comes to a point in in center field, uh, like the left center field gap. And I know right field plays pretty small, or at least that's what Chase Davis makes it look like. Um, but I think it is a shorter porch and right. But with Arizona, I mean, the the air is so thin, and I'm sure the ball flies. But I, I've never been there, and I don't know the exact dimensions. But I don't know if it's one of those, like, Arizona is a good offensive team because the gaps are so big and, like, infield I mean, singles land in the outfield, uh, balls get in the gap, and people score from first base. I'm not sure how it really plays compared to other stadiums. Uh, that's a good question. I'll look it up for you. Because I was, I was looking at their pitching stats as well. Because, yeah, everybody pretty much mashes. They lead the Pac-12 and all the hitting and stuff. But they're also, like, second to last in all the pitching stats as well. Well, yeah, the the pitching's been a big question mark for them all year. Now, in the Pac-12 tournament, um, they did throw a couple guys out there that, you know, I was watching late at night, and, like, they had some zip on their fastball. Uh, In fact, I think their Friday guy, the first guy that they threw in that, maybe it might have been the set. It was whoever they played. Not Oregon State. Um, it might have been, I think it was game one. Whoever it was, um, and he was like 94 to 96 with good sync on his ball. And like they just couldn't get the ball up in the air. So I know that they, they do have some talented arms, but at the same time, if they leave it middle, middle, it doesn't matter what you're throwing, uh, which sounds like they were doing a lot of that this year. Just to let everyone, you know, inside, I guess the name you've brought up twice now, Ben, Chase Davis, um, Mm -hmm. mashes the ball. He's got 21 home runs leading the, leading the conference, second most in RBIs, 369 batting average and a 1253 ops. I mean, uh, you said he was a top five pick in the, in the, in the upcoming draft. Is that correct? Well, it might not be correct. Um, so first of all, like they, he did all those numbers and they walked him a whole bunch out in the pack 12 because like he was the guy that teams were not going to let them beat. Uh, like, they weren't going to let Chase Davis beat them. They were going to let the guy behind them, who uh, actually had a pretty good year, too, and had a ton of RBIs. But 
Uh, yeah, when Chase, so Chase Davis starting this year was a middle to second round draft pick projected. Um, I think he was somewhere in like the 40s to 50s uh, with the the prospect rankings and everything. Well, I mean, I've been looking at draft boards recently, and I've seen his name anywhere from five to ten for the most part, fluctuating in there. And I would be shocked to see a team like the Oakland A's who drafted Carlos or not drafted, but signed Carlos Gonzalez. Um, about 20 years ago, let him pass at number seven, or even the Colorado Rockies at nine. You know, you get enough because he looks just like Carlos Gonzalez in the box and super sweet left handed swing, the exact same stance. And like those are two teams that would appeal to their fan bases tremendously if they drafted a guy that looks just like a fan favorite from five to 10 years ago. So I, I don't think he'll fall further than 10 in the draft. He's He's played his way all the way up the draft boards and his advanced metrics this year um, for people that I, I know Martin knows all this stuff, but you know, his, his uh, expected batting average and his chase rate, uh, his, his uh, exit velocity is, is like everything like is what these scouts are looking for. They're top of the charts in college baseball. And it's like, okay, if this guy's doing damage in the pac 12 like this, like we can take a shot and invest millions of dollars into him. Sounds kind of like uh, what we have in Braden Taylor. Yeah, man. When Braden Taylor's on, he's one of the best hitters in the country. But God, what happened in the was it the beginning, the middle part of the year where he just couldn't? <laughs> what was, was going on there? I think it was draft syndrome. Maybe. I mean, that happens. I mean, it really does happen. But now he's, uh, as uh, Kendall always in. likes to say, vintage Braden Taylor. Yeah, he is locked. He was locked in in the Big Twelve tournament. That ball, that home run he hit was like Jordan Alvarez territory. It just absolutely <laughs> matched it. The <laughs> yeah, I guess which one? The one that like you couldn't even see the ball off his bat. It just like the camera panned straight to the upper deck. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh so Braden broke the uh, all-time TCU home run record this year. Mm-hmm. I think he's at like 45 right now. I just think it's funny because you're a Lance Berkman guy and Lance hit like 41 in one season. One season, yeah. I'm a huge Lance Berkman guy. Uh, I'm also a huge Luke and Baker guy. Did you guys see oh. his broken bat home run the other day? I did. Dude, he's <laughs> mashing minor league I mean, baseball. The Cardinals need to trade him. Get him out of their minor league. Get him to yeah. someone that can call him up. Exactly. I mean, he, dude, I, I played against him my senior year in high school. He was a freshman over at uh, Oak, Oak Ridge. Oak, I think it was Oak Ridge High School or Oakhurst, whatever it was, in the Woodlands. And he was the best player on the field by far as a 14-year-old freshman. And he came from bas- a basketball game right before, so he didn't warm up or anything. I swear <laughs> to God, he he was playing like varsity basketball as a freshman at this like big five A at the time, the highest level. I guess now it's six A, but um, yeah, he came straight from a basketball game, warmed up in the bullpen, maybe twenty pitches, shoved for about eight. Or we went extra innings. We went eight innings. So I think he shoved for seven innings, hit a home run, and was the no batting gloves, no nothing. Best player on the field by far. So um, looking at the odds for the Fayetteville Regional, Arkansas is obviously the favorite, you know, uh, but TCU in second, Arizona is close behind that, and then Santa Clara, you know, pretty far behind that. Um, we haven't really talked about Santa Clara. Who knows if the Frogs will, will even match up with them, but um, you did say, or you kind of hinted at the fact that maybe they maybe they surprised some folks on on Friday and take one from Arkansas. What would Do they have the pitching to do that, or, or are they – hitting so well that they could out um, outrun them. 
Yeah, no, they're they're a pitching first team. Um, they, I so I have a good follow for you guys, um, especially Martin here, who's big into stats and and maybe some more advanced stats and things like that. Um, but Mason McRae, he always puts out you know advanced pitching metrics, and he's got like a stat called Stuff Plus, and I think he rated Santa Clara as like the fifth or sixth best team pitching wise in the whole tournament. And just based off their numbers, now they do play a different style of baseball out there on the West Coast. So home runs aren't as prevalent, like the ballparks are a lot bigger. But anytime you get a team in there that has pitching depth and guys that you can roll out and, you know, whether it's with like changing speeds or just hitting locations, if you master something on the mound, like you're going to be tough to beat. So um, I was looking at the odds here for that Santa Clara and Arkansas game, and they're like surprisingly low for a one versus four matchup compared to other ones. Arkansas is like a minus 290 favorite, um, and Santa Clara is plus 230. And it's like, oh, wow, that sounds like a huge favorite because a lot of people are used to betting or looking at gambling lines for MLB. Well, like, for example, the Florida versus Florida AM line, I think Florida is, yeah, Florida's minus 1100, Florida AM plus 675. Um, you look at a game like Miami and Maine, Miami minus 400, uh, South Carolina, Central Connecticut State minus 950 South Carolina. So it's like the Vegas odds makers are giving Santa Clara a lot of credit here. Like they're half as much as most, uh, almost all one seats. And I like that's that's what I'm looking at is like this is going to be a game that I think is really tight um, and really close pretty much throughout the whole game. You said earlier that you know, you wouldn't be surprised if Arkansas throws their number one. You think they would really throw Hagen Smith? Yeah, I think they're going to have to. Um, unless, I mean, listen, Arkansas—they're—they're they're way, they're very advanced when it comes to matchups. And I learned that this year, especially where you would see a guy come out of the bullpen in the third inning just because he matched up well against like a certain part of the order, and then he would go two innings until the lineup turned back around. So. Like they know way more than I do about Santa Clara's lineup, and they probably have a good plan. I could see them throwing a Hagen Smith game one just to try to get that win under their belt. Um, and then you get Brady Tigert game two. But I could also see them just throwing Tigert out there game one and just he's coming off an injury about a month ago, and you know, he, he looks fine. I could see them just like seeing how much he could give them before they had to go to that bullpen and then saving Hagen Smith for game two. I doubt they do that, but I mean, it's still a possibility. See, I think um, that's the beauty with TCU is they don't have a true number one. So it doesn't really yeah, matter who do they throw. That's, that's why I asked. I was like, has they, have they announced who they're going to start game one? Cause I, I mean, I don't think it really matters, but um, you know, they have, I don't know. Like how many guys on the staff would you say you trust when they get on the mound? Maybe five. Uh, is that bullpen included? Yeah, bullpen included. Probably seven. Seven. Okay. It's changed a lot then throughout the season. <laughs> I like, bet. Yeah. We, we had podcasts early on where we're talking about one guy named Cole Klecker, and we couldn't trust anybody else in the in the pen. So. <laughs> I remember that. Yep, I remember yeah, you guys like, talking about that. Now it's you know Garrett Wright. He's uh, mm. dude just blowing and going as a closer. Yeah, he looked really good in the yeah really good in the tournament. Dude, freshman Benabelt, a belt. Um, mm. you know, rocky start, 
you know, you know, tech roughed him up, but his last 10 outings have all been scoreless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Savage, I think, has only given up one earned run in the month of May. Uh, Cohen Feaster's been good. Those are just, uh, yeah, that's not even saying Hunter Hodges, who. Yeah, uh, I was going to say Hodges for sure. Kurt calls his firefighter. That <laughs> Why is that? To, he likes to use them in, uh, you know, against Cal State and Texas State, both. Uh, he came in with bases loaded less than one out and was able to get out of the inning without giving up any damage. See, you need guys like that, like to win tournament games, like you got to win the big moments. And those are the bases loaded one out. Like let's get a strikeout and a pop-up or a double play ball. Like you got to have those guys that you can just 100% rely upon and, and not be hesitant on like, okay, who are we going to put in this situation? That's good. And then, you know, with the rotation, Cole Klecker has been, Pretty solid all year. Uh, Sam Stoutenborough has really come on since being inserted into that kind of Sunday role. He yeah, has... I'm not really familiar with him as much. Um, that name like doesn't even re- really ring a bell. Fun fact: uh, Sam Stoutenborough pitched. You know, he came from California, uh, University okay. of Cal. Uh, pitched okay. in the Fayetteville Regional in 2019 <laughs> as a, as a freshman for Cal that TCU was in as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Okay. So he's familiar. Nice. Yeah, Ma- okay. Martin, you got some more fun facts about 2019. Let's hear them. Uh, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Santa Clara real quick. Um, Let's do it. I, was, I was looking at their schedule on May 9th. They hosted uh, Stanford. Mm-hmm. Stanford wins 20 to 17. Wow. Dude, I missed that. Oh, that. Okay. You know what? I think I I think I sent that out as again. I was doing like college baseball gambling picks this year, and I sent that out. It was like Santa Clara plus two eighty or something like that. It was very high number. Did Santa Clara blow a lead, like a big lead, or did they come back at the end? I remember turning the game off early. I don't remember if it was because they were down a lot or if they were up a lot. I was either counting it as a loss or a win, but it turned out to be like a football score. Yeah, Stanford scored eight in the top of the seventh. And then four in the top of the ninth, but yeah, Santa Clara scored three, one, and five in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Okay, yeah. So I mean, that kind of goes against what I've been saying, right? The <laughs> pitching first team, no offense, but I mean, that was a midweek, right? That was like a yeah, Tuesday it was a midweek. Um, yeah. But I was kind of surprised by the attendance of that game. Seven hundred thirty people went to see Stanford play Santa Clara. I mean, it's you- like down the street from. Stanford. Yeah, as I say, were you surprised because that's a lot for Stanford? Because sometimes it feels <laughs> like it. Sometimes 750 sounds like a lot there. Actually, I lied. I'm not surprised. But how do you think <laughs> a team like Santa Clara, who's who plays in front of hundreds of fans, mm-hmm. is going to react to playing in front of 16,000? So I, I've never played in front of 16,000, but I've played in front of 100 before. And, uh, you know, you feel really comfortable with 100 people there watching. I think the biggest crowd I played in was uh, probably was Ole Miss, and it was it was their first home game. It was a midweek after they played in one of the tournaments that first weekend, and it was about forty five degrees, like slightly raining. And so this was back in twenty fourteen, the year they went to the College World Series for the first time. And I don't know, there there was it wasn't sold out. It wasn't like their ten thousand person crowd, but it was probably about six or seven. And like I was shaking in the box, like because you just hear this like constant like roar upon you, like mur- people murmuring in the crowd. You can hear what everybody is saying, 
And uh, it, it is intimidating. And so 16,000 is almost three times what I saw. So I, I couldn't imagine playing in front of that crowd for the first time. So that is a good point. Like they might not be ready Friday. I mean, I would imagine that they're either, you know, going to take it in stride and it's going to pump them up or whatever, mm-hmm. or they're going to tighten up and you'll know, better. you'll know really soon. Like in the first inning, if their pitcher goes walk, 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 it's like, yeah. oh, let's buckle up here. They start you know, calling the hogs. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Washington famously said, you never know how booty hole is going to react. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the wise words of Ron Washington. <laughs> was that yeah, before? Was, was that before or after he was with the Rangers? That was during whenever okay. he was. So uh, there was some other things the going World on. World Series there. run. <laughs> he might have been talking about other buttholes back then. <laughs> yeah. Or he just probably uh, maybe did a fresh line, hit a yeah. hit a key bump <laughs> right off the stripper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's probably you know sixteen thousand. That's where. You know, TCU scheduling these games at Globe Life, especially, mm-hmm. you know, playing the Big 12 tournament there. Uh, the final game had fit almost 15,000. Can I the- compliment you guys there? Because I was I was kind of getting annoyed with the SEC fans and like talking about how crowded it was at Hoover. And, and nobody knew there was 15,000 people at the big, like tw- over twice as many at the big 12 championship game. And they were like talking so much crap online about why are you playing in this giant stadium? There's no environment. It's quiet. Like, no, 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 no. You didn't watch the game. Like that was an intense environment there. And that's just because of the camera angles of globe life. Yeah. Like, right. So the center field camera only shows those suites <laughs> yeah. down below. Right. And then, Whenever anything's hit to the outfield, well, no one's sitting in the outfield. Nobody sits out it's, there, right? You know, foul. It's first base to third base. That's all full, both levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I had a pretty funny. I call it a funny tweet, um, not to brag on myself, but <laughs> I was switching back and forth between the Big Twelve tournament on Thursday and the MAC tournament on Thursday on ESPN Plus. And the Big Twelve tournament, you have the high camera view um, out in center field where the players look super small. And, and then you have the Mac camera view. It's like Kent State versus Ball State or whoever it was. And they're, like it looks like the shortstop is holding the camera. And the pitcher <laughs> looks eight feet tall. You can see like, every man. four. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, the Mac players are just so much bigger than these Big 12 players. <laughs> what are they feeding them? They really <laughs> exactly. That corn fed up there. <laughs> yeah, but I, I appreciated you guys. And it was like you and like some Oklahoma State fans I was following um texas tech fans like no 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 listen sec fans we had twice as many at our game than you shut up <laughs> yeah the, especially you know the tech oklahoma state game the day before i mean it was pretty rowdy and there was a lot of tech fans like if tech mm-hmm. had you know not you know booty hole tighten up there yeah. um and they advanced to play tcu it would have been even more rowdy of an atmosphere yeah uh, for sure how far is Lubbock from Arlington? Like four or five hours? Probably five and a half uh, to Arlington. Probably five and a half, maybe six. And how, what about what about Fort Worth? Uh, Fort Worth, it's about five. About five. Okay. No, no, no. Fort Worth to Arlington. Oh, oh twenty minutes. I was minutes. like, wait, wait. Uh, I just agreed with five hours, and I know that's not the right answer. <laughs> I've I've made that. <laughs> well, like sometimes it, man, dude, Sometimes it can feel like it on I thirty. It's oh, the worst. I, I know. That's my 
<laughs> I hate I thirty so much, especially getting into Arlington. Oh it's, yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, all that Dallas traffic is terrible. I hate it. Dallas, and then you got people going from like trying to get to the nine a.m. game on a Wednesday. So you have all the people going from Fort Worth to <laughs> oh, Dallas to work in Dallas. It's mm-hmm. just a disaster. Yeah, yeah, I'm not signing up for that. <laughs> blame you. <laughs> so say, uh, you know, before we wrap this up and get out of here, is the Nashville Regional the worst uniformed regional in uh, this tournament? The national region. What, what do you mean, Nashville? The national? Oh, Nashville. I thought you said the national uh, Nashville. Uh, um yeah i mean yeah that one's the weakest one by far now the argument against it is like you do get three teams that just won their conference tournaments playing in it you you get uh oregon who just ran through the pac-12 tournament xavier just ran through the big east tournament and then um who's the four seed there again it's somebody really bad oh Uh, i'm not speaking in terms of talent i'm speaking in terms of uniform Matches. Oh, uniforms. Yeah, oh, uniforms. Dude. It's well, I'm what not, Oregon I... wore in that Pac 12 <laughs> title game. Yep. Has to be the worst uniform I've ever seen in college dude, baseball. They, and listen, that's not even their worst one. What Oregon does, and they're trying to be trendy, is like they'll get a uniform. Uh, let's just say, let's just take their gray uniform, right? And they'll put some like either like camo or some trees, like it mixed in with the gray. And then you have numbers that take up the whole back and they're like usually a neon yellow or a neon green. Yeah, it's like they and, took reflective tape yeah. and used it to stitch on a t-shirt. They look like construction workers out there. And like really Oregon only has two uniforms I like. Uh, there's a white and they they rotate all the time. Like it feels like they have 30 uniform combinations, but they have this one white, white jersey. Um I think it says ducks across the chest. It could say Oregon, but I'm pretty sure it says ducks in like a clean yellow um, or green. I'm colorblind, so I think it's yellow or green. But anyways, um, that that one's pretty good. And then they have the black one with the the fighting duck head um, on the on the chest. That's pretty good looking. But the rest of them that they run out there, they're so bad. And then like, don't even get me started on Vanderbilt's uniform. Oh my god, like, do those they don't... black and gold pinstripes are <laughs> yeah, they're pajamas. Dude, yeah, get out of here. And then they have, like, sometimes they want to wear those, uh, I think they call them military green. And it's like, you're not, you're not green, Vanderbilt. Like, come on. There's not a base within 100 miles of where you're at. And then they get rid of the V with the star logo and they turn to just like the, the Virginia V. And it's like, that looks so dumb, too. Yeah, I'm, that is a bad uniform, um, bad uniform regional there. Ben, are you playing in the Curry Cup this year? I am. I, I signed okay. up. Um, I have made my picks on D1 Baseball's bracket challenge already. And right after this, I'm going to fill out the Curry Cup, and it's going to be the exact same thing as I did on D1. <laughs> I am a one-bracket guy through and through. I do it the same thing for March Madness. Like I will print off a bracket. Well, I'll submit it on ESPN. I'll print it off, and then I'll fill it out by hand, exactly how I did it on ESPN's bracket challenge. Like I can't... I, my brain and like my ADHD and like my like my disabilities don't allow me to focus on <laughs> like two different brackets. I just can't do it. I gotta just pick the, the bracket and just live or die by it. And I usually die by it. So that's the way it should be. It should be yes. one bracket. Everyone knows the rules. Exactly. hundred percent. Oh, some people are more sophisticated than me and they can do 10 brackets and know exactly what they need. 
for me, it's like, I can't do that. But what's the fun in that? Exactly. Dude, no fun in that. If you're listening this far, you you should have already signed up. But if not, we had 80 players last year in our uh, postseason challenge. Uh, I'd love to hit 100 this year. Uh, that means the winners are taking home over 1000 bucks, which is kind of fun. Um, so mm-hmm. reach out to at JD Sailors uh, on Twitter and uh, he can get you hooked up. You just got about, what, a day and a half to figure that out before uh, we have some games. So, um, Ben, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. Just an exceptional time of the year. Probably, I would say, the most underrated postseason in all of sports because it's, you know, it's just not as popular as others. But um, where can our followers find you again? Yeah, I mean, so you can find me on Twitter. It's just Ben underscore Upton five. Um, and then, you know, follow the podcast as well. Our Twitter page is just at one one P O I N T seven. So 11.7. And, um, you know, our podcast, we usually tweet them out and we have a website 11.7.com that we've been working on all year. So, um, but yeah, guys, like, listen, I love coming on this show. You guys are always a good time. Um, and if I win the Curry cup, I will put every dollar that I win into TCU covering the first football game just for you guys. Not, <laughs> not just who, who's the first game on the Colorado. Colorado. Dion. Yeah. Dion. Listen, listen, even better. The whole public is going to be hammering Colorado oh, game man. one. I will take TCU with every cent that I win from the Curry cup and bet it on them to cover against Colorado. That is a fact. Hell yeah, brother. I might be cheering for Penn more than me at this point. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll make some content out of it. But, but I do want to congratulate. That website y'all have is pretty great. That y'all Thank build. you. Hopefully, it, it'll be a lot better next year. It's Dimitri's a perfectionist, and I respect that. Um, and we, we wanted we built it from the ground, or he built it from the ground up, and so next year, our plans are having a live scoreboard, um, kind of like what D1 has or Warren Nolan. Uh, we're going to have like conference standings and everything like that, RPI, um, web scraped into that. So next year is really the big year for the website. And then once we have all of that figured out, because I had to learn a bunch too, like how to do the things in Webflow, um, the hosting site. So one, like once we have all that you know, established, you know, we're going to be like me and Dimitri are going to be blogging more. We'll do more video stuff. Uh, we're going to hire on some new writers and everything to, to post blogs. So, uh, that's kind of the plans for next year. This year was really just like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta get this established and lay the concrete next year. We can really build upon that. So, um, yeah, but I appreciate the compliment there. Thank you. If you, uh, need someone to be a big 12 blogger, uh, hello, I write, I write about college baseball. (laughs) No, listen, you're, you're, you're on the short list there. I promise you that we got, uh, we've been scouting this year and, there's probably about 12 guys, well, 11 guys and a girl that have been killing college baseball coverage and and, and they've been writing or podcasting or whatever. So, um, yeah, next year is certainly going to be the year that we expand. It, it's getting old just talking to Dimitri, you know, every single day of the week. <laughs> is Dimitri still in Italy? Yeah, he is. He's playing ball over in Italy. He has a zero ERA, if you guys are wondering. Oh, how about that? <laughs> how many times yeah. does he pitch, though? That's- yeah, he's a he's a reliever. He throws two innings every weekend. And so he's, I think, I just looked at his stats. I think 16 innings pitched this year, zero runs. So nice. he's been he's been killing it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool, well, guys. we appreciate being on the short list just for coming on. We know you uh, are a busy guy, uh, especially this week, just kind of getting ready for the game. So mm-hmm. big weekend ahead. Frogs take on Arizona Wildcats Friday night, 8 o'clock. Loser of that game will play 
Uh, the loser of Arkansas Santa Clara at two on Saturday or the, and the winner will play at eight on Saturday. So just a lot to look forward to this weekend. Um, all right. Enjoy the games, fellas. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.